All right. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. Really excited to have you. Uh, and we have an amazing guest for you tonight. Uh, so hopefully you prepared some questions, uh, which we'll be ready to answer at the end. So just pop them in the comment section or just keep them until the end. And we'll make sure to answer them uh, and the, at the end of the session. So let me quickly introduce myself. So my name is Anna Buldakova. I am a CEO and the co-founder at Meander, uh, which is a mentorship platform which helps you to connect with mentors from amazing companies like Google, Meta, LinkedIn, and essentially help you grow uh, in your career or transition to a new one. And today we have uh, an amazing guest, uh, Thiago Gizzi, uh, who is a director of engineering at Nubank uh, and previously worked at Apple and Softworks. And I was particularly inspired by his series of posts about the future of careers and how careers are developing. Uh, and he's also writing a book, uh, which is super exciting. So hopefully he will share more about that as well. And I just could not, not ask him to join me to discuss all those exciting questions. So, hey, Tiago. Hey, Anna. Thank you so much for the invite. It's been a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, career in general is a topic that I love and I can spend hours and hours talking about this. So <laughs> thank you here. so much. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, so everybody who is joining us, uh, please just say hello to us in comments and uh, share where you are joining us from. It's always really interesting to see uh, the geography uh, of where people are uh, coming from. Uh, and just do not hesitate to say hello. We love to see uh, your uh, your comments. And uh, just in terms of the logistics, uh, we'll just spend the next 40 minutes uh, just having a conversation about transitioning to people management, thinking about career changes, talking about how the approach to career planning is changing and what you should expect uh, if you are in the middle of your career and trying to figure out the next step. And then at the end, we'll leave 15, 20 minutes for your questions. So hopefully you will have them uh, in, in the comment section as well. So let's dive straight into my questions. So maybe Tiago, you could share a short uh, intro into your career journey so far, and maybe just highlight the pivotal moments in your career. Yes. Uh, so let's see. I'm originally from Brazil. I think like in terms of, I try to, to stay to the pivotal moments. Uh, I think like I'm a little bit over 15 years into my career, but if I had to pick maybe a few of the the moments that I had like big shifts, I think one was when I got my first job as a programmer. So after like a year of being an intern. Uh, and one thing that's important to mention is that in Brazil, a lot of people actually are able to work and study the college at the same time. So mm -hmm. I was one of the lucky ones that uh, I started my career really early on, like when it was like 19 years old. So I think that that was great experience to work full time and to kind of like go to college in the evenings and weekends. Uh, so that first job was was amazing. Then the the second, let's say pivotal moment I would say was when I moved to a bigger city. So I'm from a small town in Brazil and I moved to a bigger city and I got a job into a company that I, I loved that was ThoughtWorks. And at the time my English was 
super bad and <laughs> I was lucky enough to be able to fake my way to the interview process and get a job there and move <laughs> and start my life uh, I would say kind of like uh, far away from my parents and I think that was when life actually transitions and I start to work with people from different parts of the globe and start to speak English in the day-to-day work on like super big projects for international clients uh, and that opened up my mind to so many other things and then I would say the the last one and probably there are a few other more but was when I moved to New York uh, and I actually have a post about this how I moved to New York by mistake almost um, and I think like if I had to pick another one was when I transitioned into management and when I got my green card uh, in the U.S. after like seven years of struggling uh, as an immigrant. So I think those are some of the key moments. And there a lot, there's a lot more that I could go into. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely would like to dive deeper into your transition into people management. I just will stop for a moment to say hello to... Uh, people joining us uh, because I can see uh, quite uh, a lot of interesting cities. Uh, so we have Warsaw, Toronto, Kazakhstan, Gorica, Moscow, Belgrade, Sochi, Ukraine, Canada, uh, Brazil, <laughs> uh, nice. London, uh, Istanbul, Armenia, Georgia. Oh, amazing. Such a wide geography. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I want to get back to this um, uh, transition from an IC to people management, because uh, sometimes this happens almost sporadically in people's careers, like when they're doing a great job as a product manager or as a software engineer, they just get promoted. <laughs> but yeah. uh, from my experience, I actually felt like people management was really different from my day to day as a product manager. So can you share more about how it was for you? Like, was it a conscious decision? How did you approach it? What was it like to become a people manager? Yes. Uh, I would say it was almost by surprise, but I think I would say on the day to day, I was already acting as a people manager and I was already doing a lot of the things that managers were supposed to do, but I was working. So when I moved to New York, so to tell tell you a little bit about my transition, right? I was working for a startup, like a really small startup, like maybe you had 30 or 50 people max. And we only had engineers. So we had like maybe 10 uh, full stack engineers, one PM and one CTO, right? Uh, and uh, I was helping like on the interview process, interviewing other engineers, helping to talk to external vendors. Uh, I was like uh, facilitating meetings on topics that other engineers felt was boring, such as processes, like bug reporting, like things that uh, in general, like engineers are not super excited about, right? So I was like working across and uh, in my view, just, just doing the job that needed to be done and helping helping the team, right? Um, and then uh, I I was on this company for three years, and then I I was I was kind of like exhausted. Startup life is really tiring, and uh, 
I moved to a bigger company, American Express, in that case. And then there, I joined as a senior engineer. And then I started. But there, people were completely shocked. Like, why are you facilitating this meeting? You're an engineer, right? <laughs> why are you preparing this document uh, for this, right? Uh, and uh, like two months in, and my manager at the time, announced that uh, he was leaving and I was invited by the director of engineering at the time to become an engineering manager of a pretty big squad at the time. And I was kind of like surprising one side. It was like, wow, I, I was planning to transition to people manager at some point in my career, but not now. I, I, I just, I'm just onboarding. Right. And, and then I took on the challenge and, uh, I think made my life way easier. I think like overall, because when you are IC and you're working, doing managerial stuff on the side, right? But you're not formally the manager. You have a lot of additional responsibility and you still have to, to do your IC job. You're still expected to. So that often means that you are working extra hours or trying to balance because the other ICs that were your peers, right? Are not mm-hmm. doing all this extra work and whenever mm-hmm. I became a manager it felt like naturally because I was already doing that most the part of my day and people were already like asking me to help them on these issues and so it was unplanned uh, but I think that's the thing that I say to folks that ask me that they want to become managers like just start acting and behaving as a manager and doing things mm-hmm. that managers are in there are plenty of opportunities, right? With interns, with small projects, there's a lot of opportunities for leadership that we all, we all have on the day to day. And management, I think a big aspect of management is, is leadership. Right? That is such a great point. I think uh, a lot of people are just waiting for this uh, kind of to be given to them. Uh, like at some point, someone will notice how awesome I am and will just give me the management position. Uh, but I feel like if you are showing this high agency, this uh, you know initiative approach, then uh, you already will start doing the job, and it will come natural to you when you uh, become a manager. Exactly, and you also want to have the experience of, of like really seeing how how it is doing that on the day to day, right? You don't want to go from a zero to a hundred <laughs> in one day, right? You want to go like slowly and getting feedback, see where like you like, where you don't like, where you're good, where you're not good, see, I mean, where you can add value in general, right? Uh, and if you're already doing, and you only need a formalization of the role, that's the best case scenario. And the same applies to promotions, right? Uh, promotions are the best when they are basically, oh, I, I thought this person was already that level, right? Like, what, this person is not a senior yet, right? Like when you have those, like almost like they're already acting as one that most people believe they're already at that level, right? That's the best scenario. It's not always possible and there are many other problems with this, but if you're able to have that like progression to, to be seen and to act as before and to have some exposure, I think that's always the, the easiest path. Yeah, that makes sense. 
just out of interest, folks who are watching us, if you are managers already, uh, just leave a plus in comments uh, just for us to see how many managers we actually have watching us. Uh, really interesting. Uh, I think right now uh, you are also writing this uh, amazing book uh, called Career Abroad in Tech. Uh, at what point you became interested in career development? So obviously, uh, when you are a people manager, you kind of have to uh, be interested in career development. But it seems like on your side, you have a much deeper interest in that. So could you tell me more about when it became your almost a passion, I would say? So yeah, that's been since forever. I don't know exactly when I start to really be in this topic of career and uh, growing as I mean, career as a profession, I would say. Um, I can definitely relate to uncle that I had that was really inspiring to me and had a, a really interesting career and uh, in, also in tech. And that was in the early days of back in the 90s, right? Uh, but and at some point, the, the only thing I know that is that people start to ask me to talk to them about career, right? And when mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I love this topic. I can talk about this forever and start to go deeper and deeper into this over the years, like reading pretty much every single book I could find on career, right? Uh, and like talking to the to my leaders about this and learning different organizations and trying to understand HR and the different ways that different companies apply, like the career path, right? Levels and all that. Um, so it's been a passion of mine. And I think like the other thing is, because I move abroad, I move to work in a different country because of my career. And I have seen how much that has allowed me to grow as a, as a person, right? Uh, that has inspired me to talk to other people that did the same, other Brazilians. And, and uh, before the pandemic, I was actually interviewing a lot of successful people that had careers abroad uh, to try to understand the patterns and what they did. And, and the idea of the book, and I think I released like a pretty big blog post on this on LinkedIn about, that has like pretty much 80% of what uh, I have planned for the book is how to see your career, how to grow, what are the things that I found that are common, like, like among those people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and yeah, can you share some insight reason, into that? Yes, yes, I can. But the, the, the main reason, like, why I, I was, like, doing this work was to try to help uh, people to move abroad and to get better careers, to because I believe that by doing that, people would be able to impact more, right? So some of the, the insights that I got, I, I would say that is one that is kind of obvious, but I, I feel is important to mention is that I found out that like all those people that move abroad and let's say add those big career movements, right? Uh, they always they always had some taste of that before like by that i mean like either they had uh, travel to the country that they want to move to either they they have work with someone that they really admired that were like it was already working at that level and then uh whenever they moved uh whenever they they got a job abroad right uh 
that was already something that they were like uh, planning for in the background for years, right? That was already mm -hmm. um, so like in all all of those people that I interview, I could like pretty much in every single case see like this person already talking about this this position that they want to be before they 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 got there. It was not by accident, right? There was mm -hmm. a lot of uh, planning movements. I would say the the other thing, like there is there is like a general framework, uh, and that's more uh, on how to analyze the different levels and how you can grow in your career. That's the four Ps, uh, mm. and especially for folks that are in tech, uh, that's like the the model that I. I have seen, especially for engineering, I would say, for managers and ICs. Um, so that's a framework that I, I still use to this day to try to evaluate, okay, what dimension should I focus now? Should it be the platform? Should it be the product? Should it be the process? Or should it be the people? Because mm -hmm. I feel that if you focus on those big elements, right, there's always something to optimize and always some some area that's going to give you more leverage than, than others. Uh, mm -hmm. And that also can be applied as a product manager, right? Like, I mean, as a product yeah. manager, you need to understand the people side that could include stakeholders, could include other, other teams that you have to work with, right? Uh, that could in include processes, include uh, the platform, like meaning okay, what are we doing like in terms of like things that are going to be leveraged for years here, not only like what is uh, above the surface, but what's below mm -hmm. the surface too, right? Um, and yeah. I would say, I mean, in general, the other common thing that I found is that it's all about impact and influence, right? The more you impact, the more you, you influence, the higher usually is going to be your level and your career growth, right? So, uh, and I think that's that's what like I, I feel successful people go after. It's not after mm -hmm. titles, right? It's not after promotions, but is after bigger problems to solve, uh, different ways to influence, different ways to to have a broader impact on their, let's say like their small squad on their organization on the let's say on, on the industry as a whole like i think there's always different scales that you can operate mm -hmm. as we touched on this uh, 4p framework maybe uh, you could give like a quick overview of this framework and what those 4p are uh you have an amazing post about that so i'll attach it in comments uh but maybe you could just give like yeah. a one minute Overview. Yeah, so the idea of this four piece, it was like uh, when I, I first became a manager, uh, my director at the time, once he mentions, and I, I mentioned this on the post, is like once he mentioned that, okay, like if you look on the scope of responsibilities of an engineering manager or a director of engineering, uh, you're looking at six piece, right? Uh, at the time, it was like, I think like, People, process, platform, uh, partners was additional one, and mm. a paperwork was another one. It's like so he was <laughs> like he, he basically gave me his way of like okay if I had to categorize my day to day as a manager, as a director, as an executive, whatever, 
you, you can bucket those things into six pillars almost, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to prioritize to decide, okay, where I'm going to allocate most of my time, where, where most of the problems are. And then like reflecting, reflecting on that over the years, I kind of like, I came up with that is not only a thing for managers, right? That is a thing for ICs as well, because I saw a lot of the ICs that were really good on the platform side, on their particular discipline, right? The, the fastest uh, engineer you can find, they're the best, the buggers you can find. But if they didn't actually understand the product, the business side, right? Uh, if they were not able to deliver projects, they're just talking engineering by engineering and trying to make engineering an end and not a need to, to an end. Uh, if they didn't have a good uh, way to mentor people or to even uh, help people overall, they would always fail. And processes are also a way to help ICs, no managers to scale, right? It could be to come up with a process to have different like pull request reviews or to come up with RFCs, right? And I noticed that the ICs that were more looking at the 360 and not only focusing on the discipline as, a, as the only thing that they should care about, they were the ones that were growing and had bigger, having a bigger impact, right? Helping mm-hmm. to solve bigger and bigger problems and ultimately like kind of like having more influence, right? Because they were not only the, the best engineer, they were the engineers that understood the, the PMs that could talk to other, let's say, vendors or could help uh, a particular process to be fine-tuned to improve the, the overall process for engineering, right? Mm-hmm. And that also applies to product managers or other even uh, roles in tech. If you actually look, you need to have a really strong foundation on your discipline, what I call the your platform, your your core, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't look on the on the product side, I mean business process on how you scale as as an individual and as a, as a team, right? As governance or other things, and if mm-hmm. you don't also have a way to talk to people, mentor people, not necessarily manage people, also, but also facilitate meetings, have really tough conversations, right? Give feedback, right? those things end up uh, kind of like not being on the radar, right? So mm-hmm. it's easy to, for you to stay only on, on your core discipline and not look on the surroundings. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think as large as the company is, uh, the more you have to move away from the platform side and the more you have to focus on uh, especially the processes and the people uh, because uh, you have to work with other people, you have to communicate, and soft skills sometimes become uh, the key blocker for someone to get a promotion. Yes, and I think like there is another thing is like after a, like a certain level, you actually have a lot more leverage by supporting other people's ideas, right, and using your let's say, your goodwill, your, the credit that you build over the years in the organization, being at a certain level to sponsor those people to, to, to uh, like make it easy for them to, to solve problems, right? Then to be the one that is coming up with ideas and trying to implement by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like how much leverage you get, right? 
is like, yeah, you can do a lot of things by yourself. You can be super productive, I see, but doesn't matter how productive you're gonna you have a cap. Even with all the AI, all the things you have today, you're not gonna be as powerful as having 10, uh, making 10 other engineers or 10 other PMs more effective, right? And mm-hmm. like sponsoring them, helping them to like, to have that sense of ownership and like creating a culture, creating something that's able to scale. So I think that's the, and that applies on the management track as well as on the IC track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think right now, as you touched on this uh, uh, concept uh, around AI, uh, I cannot not ask you this question about uh, how you think this might affect uh, the future of work. But I think this question is relevant, not even with regards to open AI advancements, but in general, like every single year we have some new technologies, we have some new changes. So how do you stay relevant? How do you make sure that your skill set um, is not getting outdated and just making sure that you, when you're coming to, uh, to search for a new job, uh, you actually can demonstrate something that is actually in demand. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I mean, like, I, I mean, one part of the answer I would say is like, if you focus on this, uh, surrounding areas, right, uh, people, process and, uh, the business itself, I think like you're going you're gonna to be able to connect things that is going to be really hard for ChatGPT or for like, and there is the human element so that always comes to play. But I think the, the other side is like, you need to leverage those tools to, to be more effective, right? Like, and uh, it's amazing what uh, you can do. Like, it's amazing on how quickly you can do certain things with those tools now. So, like you need to embrace it, right? Like and uh, be familiar with them. Like and even like I I don't see how like um, I, I can that, I can definitely see how someone that stays uh, resistant to this is gonna have problems. But I don't mm-hmm. see a problem when you're embracing these new technologies and trying to be more effective, trying to use that to make your your impact uh, bigger, right? How mm-hmm. that is gonna be bad for your career. I think it's just, I think it's just gonna give you more leverage in the long term. And like, to be honest, I think in technology, there are a lot of things that, that can, can be done much faster now, like mm-hmm. uh, with those tools. But I would say the core of the problem is still not being solved by AI. That's like, like collaborative people understand different people motivations. Like, like the whole I, the whole thing about soft skills and how you influence, how you help people. Right? Like is, and I mean, I feel like on, on the other side is there is a limit of how much those tools can help and your expertise. Like. Is like the tool by itself alone is not powerful. You need to have some mm-hmm. expertise as the glue to, to use those things. So um, it's, it's just that you have to grow your impact uh, as much as possible, leveraging those tools and embrace them as soon as possible. I think that's the that's the thing that I that I see uh, and the thing that I try to do is like if you stay relevant. Uh, 
I I don't see this as a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially understanding the problem to solve uh, with, those to- with those tools and trying to see how they could make you better in solving those problems. Yeah, I yeah I don't I don't have any any strong opinions about uh, why this can be bad for your career. Kind of the opposite. <laughs> I see we doing a lot more things a lot quicker with those tools like projects that took years uh, especially migrations and things that like are the perfect case for uh for some of the llms uh, that you're seeing right uh, mm-hmm. like it is amazing what you help you to achieve right and how quickly so it's like let's do that the same way that we we already evolved over the last maybe 20, 30 years. Like if you see internet was a big lever. Yeah. Is I think is the next thing. And uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't see why you should not uh, invest into that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, in that regard, do you think that it makes sense to uh, specialize in something or uh, should any should everyone now become a generalist? Uh, essentially, I think previously there was a clear distinction. Like sim- some people preferred to specialize and go really deep on some technologies, and some people would be uh, just acquiring this transferable skill set. So, do you think that this kind of separation would make sense in the future, uh, or do we still have a space for specialists as well? I, I have a strong opinion on that topic. I mean, like engineering-wise, I feel that everybody is better off, at least in my experience, like starting as a as a generalist, right? And having, like, going into different parts of the stack and actually, like, building projects that force you to, to go to different areas than like focusing on one thing and trying to be the expert on that one thing. Uh, I mean, I would say, especially now, I think like there are a lot of use cases for experts that are kind of like, that I, I would say in general, I would be a lot more worried if you were like an expert now than you was more like a full stack, right? Mm. I think with the, especially with the support you have on tools and how quickly you can learn things, how quickly you can like start to put things together. I, I would say the understanding of the basics, like the, I, on the article I mentioned about the Pareto principles, like it's almost the 80-20, right? Uh, it's like, ideally you should understand the, the 80% that the, like, or the 20% of a skill of an area that deliver 80% of the results and then move on. And then after doing that for a couple of years, then you can say, okay, there is a lot of uh, a lot of things that I can do on this area. Let me go a little deeper and start to see your career almost as a as a Tetris game where you have skills, right? skill blocks, right? And mm-hmm. you start to accumulate, but you don't want to have all these skills on only one corner of your let's say, uh, skill, yeah, skill shape, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're able to leverage uh, AI tools to be the glue and to learn things quickly, I think like being more like a generalist is is much better for your career. And 
it doesn't mean that you cannot be an expert or like being experts bad. I think there are areas that are in need of experts and like that is also not going to be a shortage of expert any, anytime mm -hmm. soon. Uh, but I think you have to be careful with that because if you only know one area, it's much harder for you to relate to other people probably. It's much harder for you to scale, right? It's much harder for you to, re to, to relate to the nature day and to be able to see how your work impacts other people. So I, I, when I see someone that's like 10, 15 years working on a particular, with a particular technology on a particular part of the stack, it always kind of like raises some flags. Like, like how is it possible that after 10 years, uh, you have not reached to a, to a point of diminishing return where you are not seeing like the growth or your learning kind of mm -hmm. like get stuck, right? So I have found that in myself, if I two, three years working on a particular part of the technology on a, with a particular language, whatever it is, I always get to a point where I'm, I'm seeing myself doing exactly the same things and solving the problems the same way and mm -hmm. thinking the same way. And it's way too comfortable to keep doing that, right? Uh, but it's an illusion to believe that you're, gonna, you're growing at the mm -hmm. same speed, right? I think it, you definitely can be growing, but I think that's diminishing over time. And I think is is a thing that's more beneficial for your career, especially if you look in the long term, to mm -hmm. have a really strong basis at the beginning. Nice. Yeah, uh, I think this point really resonates with me. Uh, imagine that I'm graduating from university, so we just talked about the uh, generalist path uh, as a beneficial move for for people's careers. So what would you say, like, if I'm just a, a recent graduate, uh, how can I build the foundations for my career to be successful in the future? So what else would you recommend to think about when I'm just starting a career? I would say, like, okay, whenever you start your career, the... like, I would not be that worry at, at the beginning but i would be like on a constant uh evaluation of your next move right like mm. is every year every two years max you, you need to force yourself to interview you need to like always be looking for your next job right and and use like some time to prepare to get there and use the opportunities you have in the current job to kind of like explore the different different skills that you need for the next 40 years of your career, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, I would say if you're like a, like a recent grad, I think the first thing is try to get a job on, I would say, if possible, on a startup or a company that you're going to have exposure to a lot of things. You're going to be able to interact with customers. You're going to have to like use open source, you're going to have to like almost see as much as possible the whole like how like is like a real production system running, like how is the real product and you want to avoid, I would say, to join a big company and work on a, a tiny area using uh, internal technology and like constrain yourself really early on into a particular super niche thing, right? Mm -hmm. You should try to find more broad opportunities because I feel that even though you can sometimes get 
paid more if you go on a super niche early on. Long term, that's bad. That's bad because mm-hmm. I think you have less uh, options because if you only know one thing, it's hard for you to, to be productive or to be able to quickly transition. Uh, and also if you want to be an entrepreneur, like a freelancer, whatever it is, right? It gives you a lot more optionality long term. So that's why I'm a big fan of like having experience on a startup um, early or on a on an area on a big company where like you, you have that kind of exposure, right? Uh, so yeah. that's what I would say. But I think that the big reminder is every year and a half, two years, interview. See where you are. See what kind of salaries you're able to get. What kind of opportunities you you're able to to make it through, right? And then mm-hmm. decide to move or not based on that, right? Uh, is a way to be constantly seeing how relevant you are. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great point. And I think uh, definitely uh, leaving Facebook uh, and then starting a startup definitely feel uh, really connected to your last point uh, because obviously in a large company you have all the tools already at your disposal. Some of them are internal ones, uh, so you don't ha- don't get to experience uh, all the variety of tools on the market available to the average customer. And I think that's where you can actually discover a lot of interesting problems to solve uh, and a lot of opportunities for growth as well. 100%. Uh, I think uh, another question uh, in terms of career growth is obviously this transition from an IC to a people manager, because at some point, I think everybody starts thinking, how can I get to the next level? And how can I unblock the next level? And obviously people management, that is something that comes to mind. And I feel like uh, right now, majority of companies are only seeing this growth uh, through people management. So how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel that this might change in the future where people who want to grow don't won't need to transition into people management or it will stay the same? I feel that that is, I mean, that has already changed. At least during my my career, I have seen the transition. I have seen the formalization of the, the two sides of the career ladder in most companies, right? And the companies that don't have that, right? Usually are companies that are losing talent because it's such a uh, such a big thing for the company and for the people that are there, right? So, um, and I don't know exactly when that started, but like maybe five, 10 years ago, we started this movement to have like the career, like uh, the career path doesn't end as a senior IC. You have a path to staff, principal, or... Like, I think the same applies to product or design or different disciplines, right? And uh, management is a, is a big option. And I think like there's a lot of opportunities there. But uh, I would say in some cases, there are actually less opportunities there than you have on the staff principal path, right? Uh, because as a manager, like once you get the director, like you have such a big scope that's like, Okay, like it's impossible to have, let's say, 100 directors in a company, right? Because you don't have a scope that's big enough for a director, right? Uh, for staff and in principle, depending on how the company are growing, you can have a lot more, depending on the kind of problem you're solving, where, where what kind of expertise is needed 
or that company. But um, yeah, I, I see that in a super health way and that formalization of those letters and those different roles, what is expected of a staff engineer, staff product manager uh, versus like what is expected of engineer manager, senior manager are completely different things, right? And they are super complementary and allow people to focus on, on different parts of the problem and to be super effective together. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I mean, in general, I feel that's a really good movement and I see more and more companies adopting this and less and less companies not having career letters, right? Or like levels, I think, uh, if you're like, unless you're really tiny startup, like there are models that are available and there are examples. And I think it's never been easier to, to actually formalize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, awesome. So we are gradually coming to the last part where you guys can ask questions. So please uh, share them in comments uh, while I'll ask my, my last uh, couple of questions. So if you have any questions to Tiago, uh, please share them in comments right now. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Tiago, I think in one of your uh, talks, you mentioned uh, this new definition of success in careers. Uh, could you talk a bit more about that? Like, how do you see uh, this uh, definition of career success evolving and what it is to you right now? Yeah, so I feel that like, that is like, okay, when you look on career success, right? Uh, most people feel, okay, is your job title, is uh, what level you are, is the money you're making. Uh, but I feel that one, one thing that is missing is like, uh, is not only what do you want to be, but is who do you want to be, right? And who you want to be is more than uh, just the title or just the, <laughs> the level. It's like what kind of problem you want to be solving, how you want to be solving that with who, right? How you want your day-to-day -to, -day to be, like how you want to be recognized as. And, um, and I think that is like... Uh, it's not only the impact, but it's like what kind of impact, right? It's not only the influence, what, what type of influence you want to have, right? Uh, and that's why I focus on the impact and influence being a proxy. But mm -hmm. I think it's like going much deeper than just uh, career letters, levels, and oh, you are on, on the management track, on the IC track, it almost doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> you need to find something that is unique to you, right? And le leverage your skills and um, you help people like, and you're, you're doing something that you always also feeling that you're growing, right? Having the impact you wanna have um, and less attached to a particular company or attached to a particular title or to a particular technology. Uh, you want to be recognized as individual, right? Uh, not as a title, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And to be honest, I, I'm seeing uh, more and more people being excited about doing some meaningful work and, you know, doing something valuable rather than getting like a title, which uh, doesn't mean a lot of things. 
Awesome. So we have uh, some great questions that I can see in comments. So let's uh, look into that. So a great question from Andreas. Uh, do you have any recommendations for uh, preparing to transition from manager to manager of managers? Yes, uh, we actually did a podcast on that. So I, I also have a podcast called Engineering Advice being asked for. And we actually did a whole episode on, on this exactly topic, like how to transition from manager to manager of managers. Nice. And, we'll share uh, the link uh, in the comments. So Yes. Uh, but I mean, overall, I, I feel the same principle applies. It's like you need to start to acting as a manager of managers, start helping. Like maybe the first step is help to onboard a new manager. Like, okay, once you consolidate yourself as a manager, what is the next thing you can do, right? It's like, okay, whenever you see a project that is struggling, go there and try to help. Whenever you have opportunity to onboard someone new, go there and do that, right? Uh, try to connect with uh, your peers in other areas of the organization, right? Um, like, it's more to find, you need to find uh, different scopes that you might, you might grow, uh, you might need to like be a really good people manager, right? And help your your peers to, let's say, to like to build a promotion cases for their people, to help whenever there are cases of low performers. I think like is like what makes a manager of managers uh, is the people management side. I think that's a, such a core, is like to be able to give feedbacks, to be able to help others to, to do that. And you, you can do that informally first because once you become a manager of manager, you are gonna need to do that on the day to day, right? And you also need to find ways to make things happen, to unblock initiatives without being you, you being the one that is driving the work or is doing the whole thing, right? You need to like to get really good at mentoring. Uh, and uh, I think the same applies to the other four piece. Uh, it's like you look at the, the other manager of managers you have your org and see what are they doing on ways to have process to scale themselves? What are they doing on, let's say, on the, in the platform side? How much involved they are? How, how much further are they looking like, uh, are they thinking for the next quarter, the next semester, the next year, right? How much time are they allocating each one of the dimensions, right? But I would say uh, mentoring other managers, new managers or managers that are onboarding, uh, helping them with people challenges and seeing different scopes and seeing ways that you can like help your organization to grow, your business to grow, I think is going to be build a really solid case for you to become a manager of managers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a great uh, question from Dmitry. Uh, which is better, having a lot of experience but being less active or having less experience but being more active? Uh, what is valued more in large companies? Interesting. <laughs> being less active... Uh... Yeah, what I imagine that it means more? like more initiative and more. Uh, mm, gotcha, gotcha. High agency. I mean, yes, okay. If you're talking about proactivity, right? Um, 
I, I mean, I would say I cannot, cannot speak to all large companies, but for the, for the large companies that I work uh, at, the problems are the same, right? The problems are exactly the same. And usually is because lack of productivity, lack of mm. people that are volunteering to do things, people that are waiting to be told to do things, right? Uh, so I would say less experience and a lot more productivity is usually better, uh, much better, because you are, you easily gonna get to the, the level of experience and you can learn quickly, right? But the the behavior side, right? Even if you have a lot of experience, but you're not proactively doing things, you're not looking things holistically, is a lot more challenging to change, and um, is usually something that, I mean, after let's say five, 10 years, you get to the point of diminishing return, right? Like, so if you're really expert today, you're probably not going to keep it up as being the expert for the next two, three years, especially if you have someone that's more junior, but is doing more things and trying to grow. Of course, there are cases where having someone with like a lot of experience, not a lot of, let's say, like proactivity can be much beneficial, especially if you have a big problem ahead of you that's like really complex but in general organizations small or large lack like proactive people like mm. and usually i'm not looking at if you're junior or senior or staff like there is always room to have more people like being proactive and doing more things or looking things more realistically so the managers don't need to tell people <laughs> oh, why don't you do this? Or like, I think it's like they they have the sense of where they can contribute, and they they do things in the background without uh, anyone telling them or asking them to do. Right? Is the whole high agency thing? It's like the feeling that they have is like, and over time that like builds up really quickly. Yeah, and I think it also helps to build trust uh, with your manager because if they feel like re they can rely on you, uh, you quickly become their go-to person. Uh, for important projects. <laughs> yes, that's actually uh, another point for the previous question, right? Like, if you are able to, like, another way to become a manager of managers is, like, to start to ask for more or seeing areas that your current manager is struggling, either because they don't have time or because, like, uh, they don't have the skills and offering to help, right? Uh, and gaining more and more influence, right? I think that's another way to to be considered the next uh, manager of managers because <laughs> if you start doing that, you're gonna open up uh, more opportunities for your manager, right? And if, you, if the, your manager is more effective, is able to have a bigger impact, they're usually gonna grow their org, they're gonna grow like how much projects, how much impact they can have, right? Uh, so make your manager more effective, <laughs> make organization more efficient are usually ways that are going to reward not only you but the whole the whole organization you consequently mm -hmm. awesome uh we have a great question from arthur uh so do you think working almost full-time on a pet project while working for a big company is a good idea so the big companies to make money the pet project is to grow and enjoy I would say 
Yes, and uh, I mean, side projects are a great way to grow and to play with different technology and to, to see what's out there and, and to kind of like to bring innovation to the workplace. And I would say the, the only thing that I would be concerned about is like, is a pet project that doesn't have a clear goal, right? Like, mm. um, I like the idea of like small bets and like, trying to launch those projects, trying to solve a problem to someone someone else, uh, or to actually have some accountability for those side projects, right? Uh, I don't like the, I think it's good to have some pet projects for a while, but if, if they become a, like a pet project forever, and they are not, uh, they're not, let's say, they don't have a clear focus that, that is, we start to get to a point where you're going to get to the diminishing return as well. But mm. um, I feel that's a great idea, for example, if you want to be an entrepreneur, right? To have a side project, to be doing something, to be testing your ideas, to see how much you can do by yourself, right? What are the pain points if you were to open your own company, right? And for engineers, I think is is a great way to bring innovation to the workplace is to, to grow their skills, right? To, I think is like putting a few extra hours on a side project is going to open up uh, your, your, your brain to a lot of different thinking that if you're only working on that company, only doing the nine to five, you're definitely gonna, you're gonna have like a, a big, big leverage. Yeah, I think the caveat in this question is Arthur is suggesting working full time on a pet project uh, while working at a, at a big company. So I wonder if it might lead uh, to a burnout at some point. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, then there is another point is like, okay, if you're working full time, but keeping <laughs> working on a big company is like, why are you doing that? Right? Because yeah. you're, you're just wasting a lot of your energy, like, trying to keep your, your job on a big company. And I mean, yes, salary-wise, benefits and all that, but like, why don't you find another job that's closer to what you're doing on your pet project so you don't have to keep doing something that you that you, you don't like, right? Uh, but I think it is a tough mm -hmm. question and it's like this, the situation will vary a lot depending case by case. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we have another amazing question from Jorge. Uh, some companies request that you are still a top programmer, but being a manager involves dedicating uh, most of your time to coaching people. Uh, so sooner or later, you don't have time to stay technically up to date. So how do you handle that? Yes. So, I mean, the, the way that you stay technical as a manager or as a director is by proactively being involved in things that uh, are going to force you to like for example like one thing that i do uh, at mubank or even my previous companies is like always be close to for example production incidents or whenever there is a big uh, rfc big like a big change on the architecture uh like on my one-on-ones i start to i use some of them to go deeper on problems start to recognize patterns right i like once a while once a month or so i i set up the, the developer environment in my machine and try to do something right try to debug some problem 
Um, I would say, like, you stay technical by help, like trying to help your team be involved in some of the issues they are seeing and helping them to prioritize, like, and trying to explain, like, how you believe something work works to an engineer, and you get a lot of feedback there. So uh, you don't need to be a top programmer. And the, the other thing that I, I mentioned to managers, like there is this model called C4 model. That's like uh, the four Cs. That's like uh, you have the context, you have the containers, you have the components, and you have code. If you actually see the, the systems, the, the platform that you work uh into those four levels. As a manager, you almost you don't want to get to the code level. You don't want to get to the files and understand what's up. You want to stop at the components or the containers level. And you and just by understanding, okay, what are the big responsibilities of the system? What are the bottlenecks, right? What actually broke that caused this issue in production, right? Why like why are people spending way too much time to do a simple task and get deeper and deeper, but not that deep that you need to be the one doing the, the work, but you're the one that's asking questions and you're seeing patterns and you're working more broad, right? Uh, and I think that way has been enough for me to stay technical. And of course, once in a while, I need to, to build a pet project or something with new technologies, right? To actually get a sense of that. Uh, or to try to fix a bug or to try to debug an issue by myself, I would say that's those are ways that managers can stay super relevant technically. Awesome. And if you have a, like a strong foundation, I think like if you go back to, if you have a really solid foundation, you work in different parts of the stack, you you build your engineering level to, to kind of a solid level, it should be easy enough for you to, to kind of see patterns of problems and say, oh, this is similar to this kind of problem that I did when I was a C programmer. This is similar to like the problems that I was seeing when I was a mobile engineer. Because a lot of things in tech are more layers of abstractions being on, building on top of layers, right? So you're always able to relate to problems you, you see even like five, 10 years ago. Uh, if, you, if you're able to unpack that onion and find your connection through, that's that's usually a really good way to stay relevant. Amazing. And I think we have time only for one last question. So I'm seeing a really good one from Dmitri. Uh, how do you, uh, how can you, uh, I understand if it's a good manager or a bad one? So what kind of skills or qualities you can look at to make this distinction? Yes. Um, so I feel like like a bad engineering manager is easy. Like a, a bad engineering manager is easy to tell because usually you're gonna see people problems. You're gonna see delivery problems. Uh, you're gonna see me feedback problems. You're gonna see uh, collaboration problems, right? Uh, or you're gonna see technical problems too, right? Like manager needs to stay technically relevant to be able to connect the dots, to be able to represent their team meetings. And if a manager 
that is like that anti pattern, right? If a manager needs to bring someone on their team to every single meeting, that they need to talk a little bit more technically on that on that discipline that they they work for years. Usually, you have a potential problem. Of course, <laughs> there's there are things that are super hard, and their managers have a super big scope, right? Um, and a good manager is like kind of the opposite, right? It's like someone that's proactively, let's say, addressing low performance, is someone that is uh, promoting people, helping them to figure out what to do next in their careers, is someone that is like opening paths to collaboration, is like raising problems even when they are super at the beginning, right? Is not someone that is uh, hiding uh, problems, right? Uh, is someone that's proactively giving visibility, is someone that's raising, someone that's escalating, like, is someone that's escalating problems. Usually a good manager escalates. Uh, escalation is not a problem, it's actually, is a feature, it's not a bug, it's a feature, right? It's something <laughs> that you, you should use to, to be more effective, of course. Yeah. There, there are bad patterns on how often you use and how you use the escalation process to be more effective. But um, yeah, if you look at the four Ps that I talk about, you can easily tell, okay, what a good manager is doing, what a bad manager is doing, each one of those dimensions, right? Um, yeah, hope it helped, uh, Dimitri. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Iago. Uh, that was an amazing conversation. I learned so much. Uh, so hopefully, guys, you did as well. Uh, please share in comments your favorite insight that you learned from today. That would be super, super helpful for us to understand what you enjoyed about this conversation and also uh, help Thiago with maybe ideas for his next posts. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, so I will share the links to all the resources that we mentioned today uh, after uh, we finish with the recording. Uh, and we also have the uh, recording and the transcript ready for you, uh, hopefully next week. Uh, so leave a plus in comments if you want to receive a link to that when it's ready. Thank you so much, Tiago, for joining and sharing your wisdom. That was amazing. Uh, wishing you, you the Anna. best with your book and the next publications. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good evening.